Here's Reinman in the Morning, on demand from 1021 and 105.3 The Shark. This one's all about laughing. Two very talented comedians, Hurry Condobolo. I want you to listen to Hurry. He went to college right here in Maine. Very interesting story, very funny, a lot of perspective, and had a profound impact and a positive change on a television show we all grew up knowing and loving, and we still do. But before that, Howie Mandel, what else can I say? Love Howie Mandel. My parents loved Howie Mandel. I can still remember my dad laughing so hard every time he'd go on Regis's show and just make everybody laugh. Let's get right to it. Please welcome to Reinman in the Morning, Howie Mandel. Mr. Mandel, how's it going, sir? I don't know. I think it went. <laughs> so, oh, it went well. Okay. Uh, well, let yeah. me ask you this. Have you played Portsmouth before? Have you been here? Yes, I have. And what, been, and what... Go ahead. Finish your question. And I, I hope my answer matches the question. <laughs> well, I was just going to say, what do you think of when you think of New Hampshire? Well, I love New Hampshire, and I've been there even without doing stand-up comedy so uh you know and a lot of great comics have come out of that state you know so i think of my friends that have come out of there but more importantly i haven't been doing stand-up uh for the last three years because of well because of my own mental health issues but you know covid didn't didn't help that so up until three years ago i was doing up for the last 40 years you know up to 200 live dates a year, and then I just shut down. So coming to Portsmouth is probably less than 20th show that I've had in the last three years. So all I have is terror, excitement, thrill, kind of like getting on a roller coaster. So I can't wait. What were some of your favorite spots to perform at in Boston when you first started touring? Well, when I first started touring, I used to, uh, like, really touring after I kind of blew up in the 80s doing stand up on, you know, cable specials and things like that. Um, I used to live, I used to stay in Boston and then just play like every play, you know, the, the Cape Cod and the Tenth and uh, I think it was Pier 6. And I knew all the other comedy clubs like, uh, like Nick's and uh, the Comedy Connection and Fan Hall, but I used to just drop in on those. I kind of blew up pretty fast and didn't really play the clubs. But I was on a television show that was based in Boston. I did a, a, dr- a drama for six years called St. Elsewhere. Of course, and, yeah. And uh, we shoot the exteriors in uh, in Boston. But that was like the height of my stand-up career. Like, that's when I first blew up. I think more people know me now from AGT and Deal No Deal. And I should say that if they do, and I know they do because I don't do stand-up on television, uh, that much anymore because I don't think that uh, that you know younger people know that I'm even a stand-up. Don't bring the kids to the show. <laughs> <laughs> the first time I saw you when I was young, you were doing your legendary medical glove bit, and so as a person who, as you said, kind of uh, thinks about germs, were there any moments a few years ago when everyone was scratching and clawing for latex gloves, and you thought, "Why did I blow up all those gloves?" <laughs> no, but, but that's funny. But no, no, I just, you know, the, the you. thing is, I had the glove on my head and then bought me my first house by putting a surgical glove on my head. You know, that just came out of not knowing what to do. And my hands were in my pocket and I had a, and I had a, I carry gloves all the time because I have OCD. I've been open about my mental health issues. 
and I carry rubber gloves for when I was going to public restrooms. But I, the, the thing is that, you know, PPE has always been a term that's been very close to me when everybody was looking for that. But, you know, I was, uh, I got locked down twice as much. I, I lived locked down my entire life. So I got locked down in social distancing much more than the average person. And I moved my therapist into a whole new tax bracket. I've doubled my meds. So that's why I was locked away. That's why this is uh, my escape tour, Portsmouth. I'm just uh, being released. This is a work release program. Come and see my work release program. <laughs> the work release tour. I like that. Uh, you know, I'm so happy you're playing the music on Portsmouth because I got to say, they might have the nicest men's room in the world. Have you ever been inside the men's room at the musical? I don't mean the backstage one. I mean the one for like the people in the audience. You got to check out this men's room, oh. Howie. It is oh. it is immaculate. I don't look to any, but even if it's immaculate, it's public. That's true. You know, I'm all for uh, catheters and the pens. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to use any public. I don't want to use any public restrooms. I kind of uh, I'll go before I come. Oh, there. <laughs> Yeah, well, that could be taken a couple ways. Um, we we know uh, America's Got Talent's coming up, right? You have a new season coming up soon? Yeah, yeah, I'm halfway through taping it, yes. What kind of stuff and can we look forward to? Exciting, new, fun, crazy, wacky, very heavy in stand-up comedy, and really good in stand-up comedy. So I'm I'm looking forward to you guys seeing that and sharing that with me. I always wanted to kind of comic to go really far on that show. That's always my favorite kind of uh, talent, you know, to watch and to support and to be part of and to do. You showed up on The Masked Singer as a rock lobster. How fun was it for you to be on The Masked Singer? That seems like perfect for Howie Mandel. Not so much. Um, I thought being wearing a mask might be fun, but it was very claustrophobic Mm. and hot and sweaty and shining and crazy. And uh, I got voted out on the first ep- uh, first song, so I don't know if that was great, but I loved reconnecting with uh, Nick Cannon, who is on my uh, podcast now. I have a podcast called Howie Mandel. Uh, yeah, uh, uh, um, Howie Mandel does stuff, and I do it with yes. my daughter. I reconnected with, uh, which was scary to reconnect uh, with uh, Nick because I-, I thought he might have impregnated me. <laughs> <laughs> Are you sure he didn't, Howie? You might want to double check, man. Uh, yeah, test a little out, so we'll see. <laughs> well, you brought that up, and you know, I have a six-year-old daughter myself. She loves making people laugh. Let me ask you, though, because you know, you're doing this podcast with your daughter, and it's father-daughter, but still, you're a comic. Comics get competitive. Um, what's your advice to giving constructive feedback to your child when they think they're hilarious, but maybe uh, not so funny? I wouldn't give constructive feedback. Everything I've ever been punished for, expelled for, gotten in trouble for is what I seem to get paid for. So what do I know? You do you, you be you, and, you know, and hopefully let the audience decide. Who made you the audience just because you're the parent? Very good point. The other side of that is what is your advice the first moment internally when you're a very funny person, but you realize that maybe your child is as funny or maybe funnier than you are. That would make me so proud. Yeah. That would, my kids are funny. My kids, all three of my kids and my grandkids are all funny. 
whether they decide to have a career or do whatever they do, that's, you know, I just like uh, the fact that I, I found my own path in a way that nobody around me knew who knew me, including myself, would have ever, uh, you know, chosen or thought of or planned for. It kind of informed me that let's see where my kids go. You know what I mean? I don't need to. I'm just there to support whatever you do and love you. Uh, I'm not talking to you. I'm talking about my kids. Oh, okay. But I do support whatever you do, and I seem to love you. I don't know. Thank you. I appreciate it. I, that really does mean that I will take that. How At this point in our world that you kind of just, Howie Mandel kind of said he loved me, I'll take that for okay. you. Uh, but I got to right. ask you this. I the first person I ever got to write for in comedy was Jay Leno, and I love seeing right. you and Jay talk back and forth. And I wonder because Jay's from the area. Uh, I think he was the first guest I had on my show in the fall. Uh, do you have a good Jay Leno story? Something about because you know there's Jay comes across as such an everyman, but he works so hard. Are there any funny stories that come to mind? We think of when you guys were starting out together. I don't know if funny stories, but he was my first. You know, he picked me up from the airport when I showed up in L.A. I and mean, he was uh, obviously he always has a car. Yeah, and he's the only one that had a car. So, no, I got no funny stories. He's just a good friend, supportive, real down to earth. What you see is what you get. I love the guy. And I would be there in a heartbeat if he ever needed me for anything. We're so happy to have you back doing stand-up. We're so excited to have you in Portsmouth. And what can people look forward to hearing you talk about when they go see you at the music hall? I don't know. I just look at it like a big party, and I'm just trying to be the center of attention. You know, Mm -hmm. uh, it's very interactive, very improvisational. I want that night to be a special night like no other night I've had before. So come show up and be part of it. All I need is one other person, just because if I do it alone, it's just awkward. So, (laughs) you know, one listener, please just show up so I'm not alone. To get tickets to Howie's show or see who else is coming up, visit themusichall.org. For all things Howie Mandel, howiemandel.com. Please welcome to Reinman in the Morning, Hurry Kondabolu. Hurry, how's it going? Good, man. It's good to hear from you. Glad to glad to be here. So you grew up in New York City in Queens, my favorite borough, by the way, and I'm, I'm not yes. joking. I love it there. But you attended school not far from here in Maine at Bowdoin College. How did you like going to college in Maine? Uh, it was a change. Uh, Queens is the most diverse place in the world. Uh, you might know this from your yeah. experiences in New Hampshire, but Portland, Maine is not as diverse. Nope. <laughs> uh, so it was a little bit, you know, it, it was a bit, it was a bit shell shocking. You know, I mean, part of me was like growing up in Queens, you see the world around you and you're kind of sheltered in diversity. And so when I got to Maine, it was like, Oh, this is why TV and movies look the way they look. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Uh, oh, I get it. Like this is literally what I've like. I've never experienced like being the only one of a thing. You know. Sure. Yeah. I mean, having I lived in Queens, I think for about six years, and it was great because you walk down the street, it was it was Sesame Street. You saw everybody in the world, and then you, it's so weird yeah. when you come back to New England and you forget about that. Did it take some getting? You did you finally fall in love with it, or was it always kind of touch and go? How'd you enjoy it up there? I mean, it was always touch and go, I mean, to be honest, just because it's just weird when you stand out and you don't choose to. Yes. Um, I think that's why I loved doing stand-up, because I'm like, if y'all are going to look at me and ask me questions, at least I get to control the mic. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, good point. And so there's something that was wonderful about that. But, like, you know, it was it was very – it wasn't a natural thing for me um, to – 
you know, I'm, I had fun and I certainly, some of my best friends are still from that time and I go back every few years and, you know, certainly like it's my alma mater and, you know, uh, there's a, you know, Bowdoin College has definitely, you know, gone, it's changed a lot since I went there, started there over 20 years ago, uh, which is crazy. Um, but (laughs) yeah, I mean, it's, it definitely, it, it was such a sharp, difference in reality and i think it was important to experience but experience that that difference but it's not like you know i was happy every day i mean that that certainly wasn't my reality sure well when you come back to visit friends like you said you come back here up go up to maine come back to new england what are some things you like to do when you come back oh my i mean being in nature is always wonderful whether that's you know driving along coastal maine or just you know, sitting under the pines in Brunswick, like I've, I've always loved how beautiful it was. You know, the winters obviously are a yeah. thing. I'm from New York, so I know I'm familiar with East Coast winters. But the summer in Maine is, uh, in New England in general, but especially Maine to me was just just beautiful. And it's a shame because it's the best time of year, and that's when I was usually not in town. Right, <laughs> right yeah. <laughs> I was missing the stuff everybody was talking about, but, you know, I came up early a couple of times just to feel a little bit of August and I got it. Like yeah. it's just, uh, it's, it's, it's absolutely gorgeous. I mean, they call it vacation land. I get it. Sure. I mean, like I went to school, I was at Emerson down in Boston. It was the same thing. It was, oh, a, we'd, you'd make it through the winter and it was like, Oh, beautiful summertime. Get out. Time to get out and go exactly. home. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, we're renting I these that out. Chicago too. Cause Chicago, whenever I'm there, I'm like, it's freezing. And mm-hmm. I'm like, I'm never there at the right time of year. Um, well, you know, it's like, like I said, you come from New York city and a lot of people from other parts of the country, they like to group together for some reason, everyone in the Northeast, they just say like, ah, you know, Northeast, those Yankees, you know, but, but is, did you notice some differences between, you know, sort of the grumpy New Yorker and maybe the grumpy New Englander? Like what, is there anything that stood out? It's different. It's a, it's a different vibe altogether. Cause at least New Yorkers, they're grumpy, but they have everything in a New England Especially when I was there, you know, the Sox hadn't won yet. Oh yeah, that's true. So, you know, so people were really into the self-loathing. Like <laughs> it, the, sure. the Pats had won, I think, my freshman year, but it, it was different. You know, like I think the Patriots—they've won what, like five or four now? I think they're like, six. I think it's six for the six Patriots. At, yeah. You know, like to me, I feel like one Red Sox championship was worth at least five Patriots Super oh, Bowls. God. Like that. Yeah, that's such a big thing, and so um, there. I always felt like certain kind of self-loathing and like the underdog feeling. Because the thing with the a rivalry of any sort is, if only one side really feels it, mm-hmm. it's not. You know, on the New York end, you know, I, I was never like angry about Boston. Right. You know. Right. You know, it's a kind of a different vibe. So definitely, it's a different. It's a different, it's a different energy. Yeah, um, it's, and it's, it's so weird too because you bring that up, and it's like it does feel like ever since the Red Sox won, because next year will be twenty years. It does feel like every year, little by little, it's almost like we're depressed that we can't be angry anymore. Like <laughs> that's what I've noticed. So, so I'm not wrong. You've noticed that too. No, it's like it's like sports radio. People like complain about haircuts now. 
Like they're just they find little <laughs> things to be angry about, and it really is. You're just like, oh, they didn't win this year. You're like, I don't care. <laughs> like they, How many have the Sox won now? They've won four or three. They've won four, and the last one they won, they it was one yeah. of those where like they won by so much that like by game two, it was like we can just call it here, and it was just yeah, yeah I I couldn't get into it, but yeah, it's like it sort of lost the underdog sort of feeling. So that's uh, did you ever come down to Portsmouth at all when you were up in Maine? Did you ever visit New Hampshire? I I went to New Hampshire once the summer break before I went to college in Maine. I forgot where I was. Where's the Coal Mountain? The Coal Mountain. Gosh. There's like a Coal Mountain, and there's a train that you could slowly take that goes up. The oh, is that, a, are you, is that a, you think, on North Conway, maybe? Must be. I mean, I just remember my dad was obsessed with this this going up the mountain in uh, in a some kind of, of a train. Okay, and there was soot, there was soot all over us, and he was. I mean, it was fine, but he really wanted to go. But that was kind of my preview of Maine. Was <laughs> right, you know, not the train part, obviously, but the just the like, wow, this is wild, and then you realize this isn't wild. This is the way it is. Yeah, um, yeah. So yeah, so I'd been there, but I've never been to Portsmouth. I had not been to Portsmouth until uh, last year, uh, where I, when I did a show, and it was. It was fun. It was great. Like, you know, I'm doing a, a run of shows in Brattleboro, Portsmouth, and Burlington, and that's not accidental. Like, especially coming in May, like, I feel like it's a beautiful time of year. Yep. Uh, if I'm going to do shows and drive around, it's nice to drive around there. And, you know, I also built it where I don't need to rush the way I normally have to rush from gig to gig. I can actually take my time. So I'm, you know, definitely hoping to eat a, a meal in Portsmouth, and I'm definitely hoping to, you know, get to walk around and do the things last time I didn't get to do because I was in and out. You know, there's there's ups and downs of touring as a comic, but you get to travel, and you have a new album out, Vacation Baby. What what inspired the title Vacation Baby? Well, people have called my child a COVID baby because he was born kind of during the heart of that yeah. period. Mm-hmm. But to me, it's not when you were born it's when you were conceived, like okay. baby boomers were conceived during the war. And right. that's the reason, like the idea of like people coming back and then all of a sudden you're having kids. So to me, it was he's not a COVID baby. He's a Honolulu Ritz-Carlton vacation baby. There you go. That's great. And Until one so day that, he's checking into the, the Ritz-Carlton, you call up and say, hey, guess what? <laughs> oh, no, that's going to be horrific. Yeah, That's yeah. <laughs> one thing I, I haven't quite uh, come to terms with. At some point, people are going to be like, you know your parents had yeah. sex at a Brits. Yeah, I mean that's. Uh, <laughs> I'll think about that in twenty years. But right now, it's. Uh, yeah, it, it it was it was fun to to make an album that was more personal, mm-hmm. and also like, the pandemic was a strange time. Like the heart of it, was yes. a strange time because twenty twenty was such an awful year for everyone. But it was one of the best years of my life. It, I hear and, what you're saying. Yeah. And you, I feel guilty about it, but it's also like so much love and joy came from you know, the birth of my child. And as scary as it was, we moved cross country to San Diego to have the kid because New York was just it was ground zero for for COVID. You know, in March 2020, the rest of that year. And so, you know, there's it was such a, a challenging time period, but I have so much joy when I think about it. So. You know, this album to me, like, it's trying to find a way uh, to find joy in a time period that wasn't particularly joyful. 
It's funny you say that because I, I have I have a daughter who was born in 2017. So and I was yeah. I was running the monologue at Fallon at the time, and so. You know, we're dealing with Trump. We're dealing with that every day. And so I had to do the same thing. Everyone's like, isn't this the worst year? And I'm like, I know. But deep down, I'm like, no, I have this daughter. She's amazing. And, yeah, it's and the, like fun, the funny thing about it, that's not so funny, I guess, is that I always I think of two anniversaries whenever it's, I think of her birthday. The day before she was born was when that guy was dragged off the United airplane. Do you remember that? When the guy was pulled... Well, oh. It was United Airlines, and this guy, this passenger, wouldn't get off because they were overbooked, and they dragged the guy off the plane. And it was oh, this fuck- and then they like they beat him up, and he was yeah. all like bloody when he walked yeah. back in. Yeah, yeah so horrible. so that week, everyone in the country was so angry. They were like, "Can you believe this world?" And I'm just like, "It's amazing, isn't it?" <laughs> <laughs> and so that's my joke every year. Is I, I tweet out, I go, "Happy birthday to my daughter and to that guy who got dragged off the plane." <laughs> I hear, but it's I'm happy. I love that though. Vacation baby. That's that's the album you also produced, and and this is where I I, I knew you from your stand up from your late night sets. Yeah. You're on Conan, Letterman, Kimmel. But you produced The Problem with a Poo, uh, which I thought yeah. was a very insightful look at the way an Indian character of a poo was portrayed on The Simpsons. And at the end of the day, mostly met with praise. Um, Hank Azaria, uh, one of the people among them. But at first, it seemed like there were some people at The Simpsons like pushing back in a way that I almost didn't quite expect. Did, did that catch you by surprise when they were very resistant to any yes suggestion? Yes and no. Okay. Yes and no. I mean, like, you know, I mean, I, I also I'll disagree with the idea. It was met with universal praise or mostly praise in like a in, in in terms of criticism, like public formal criticism, and in media, it certainly got praise. But after mm-hmm. that point, when you get to the internet and the majority of people, it certainly was not. I mean, you can even see that in like reviews, like oh, the it's like ninety percent from critics, but like thirty percent from everybody else. So. Right. Um, which is kind of the way I like it, to be honest, because mm-hmm. I feel like that's, that means it must be good art if it's not for everybody, like it's actually saying something. Sure. Um, but in terms of how the, the Simpsons reacted, like, yeah, there was a part of me that was surprised because, like, this was the show I grew up loving. And in the documentary, I talk about how much I love it, and there is nuance in it. Like, it wasn't simply... I hate this, it ruined my life. It was also, I loved the show. I liked the character at one point. Like, it's more about what it feels like when that's all you get. And don't we have the, the ability and, and the right to kind of control how we represent ourselves? I mean, that's really what it was about. And what I was met with was, like, anger and that this character has been here forever. And, you know, people are too politically correct. People are making up their rage and anger, and it's like, how come you didn't talk about this twenty years ago when I was like, what? Yeah, at the time, maybe like eight, <laughs> nine. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, you know I mean, I mean, now it almost is funny because an eight or nine year old could make a little documentary on their phone, but back then, like, yeah, that's not a thing that was feasible. So, you know, I I, I was really disappointed by that, I and mean, part of me wasn't surprised because I just thought about the fact that like they were cutting edge in the late 80s and early 90s. And mm-hmm. they were they challenged, you know, kind of what people expected, the norms of both animation and primetime TV. But that was a long time ago. Do you know what I mean? Yes, like, yeah. It's very easy to, to age culturally without knowing it. And what, what I mean by saying aging culturally is not like, because there are older people that still know what's up. Do you know what I mean? Sure, it's not like, of course. 
uh, you're, you're 60 and you don't know anything. There's people who are up to date and have a general understanding of where we are as a society. Yep. But and you would expect the Simpsons to have some of that, but it felt almost like, oh, you're like old white dudes that are rich now. So you're protecting a property that you have versus like taking on a criticism and thinking, what, what can we creatively do with this? Cause that's what the Simpsons does. It take Simpsons take pop culture and politics and things in the world and base like day-to-day observations. And they, they find a way to make it funny or thoughtful or be critical so to me, it was like their reaction was so defensive and even how they just used Lisa as kind of a way to insult, you know, my yeah. point of view was kind yeah. of like, Lisa, Lisa it would stand by me. Are you kidding yeah, me? Yeah, I know. Who is the ultimate killjoy of that show? <laughs> like, it's Lisa. Lisa. Is, it, it, like, honestly, it would have been funnier if Lisa was making the argument. If Lisa was talking about the film I made. Yes. In a kind of surreal kind of, you Perfect. know, like... Yeah, that's so, how you do it. There's a million ways, you know, where they could have played with that. It seems um, like that's a big thing in comedy now, where it's just a consistent uh, trend of, sadly, people becoming what they once mocked. I mean, it's like they're kind yeah. of... They're becoming their punchlines now, a little bit. And they don't see it. No. That's the, it scares the hell out of me, man, because yeah. is that going to be me? Like, I, is that what's going to happen? Like... One day I'm talking about things that matter to people and people care about, and the next thing I'm going after transgender people I for know. five specials. Like, like what I, happened to me? Like, I'm the same way. Like, I'm someone who I'm a, I'm a big cynic when it comes to hauntings and ghosts and stuff like that, but I'm trying to train myself not to be because of, like, what if I'm in the, you know, what if everyone believes in ghosts one day? What if there is some evidence? I don't want to be that <laughs> jerk. You know what I mean? Well, let me it's ask you funny. this: Did did anyone reach out from the the Simpsons, to, uh, maybe privately, to support you at first? Who was the first person you let, may have heard from that? Let me let me first say um, quickly that the thing you said about ghosts, yeah. was hilarious to oh, me because a lot you. of people say that with regards to God. Oh yeah, um, <laughs> but God, you completely were like, I'm not worried about God. I mean, that I know the answer to. Yeah, ghosts. On the other hand. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. That's the thing. Yeah, yeah. I just, well, I, my favorite is people who, like, I'm someone who, you know, like, my dad was a Navy pilot, and there's things, missions he did and whatever, and so, and you see it in the news now, there's all these pilots coming forward and saying, yeah, we saw UFOs and stuff. So I'm not saying, yeah. I, I don't, I'm not like, there are aliens, but I'm like, you can't prove that there aren't aliens, like, we that's right. conceivable. But my favorite is, like, I have friends uh, who... One time we got in this big argument about the existence of aliens, and my point was just you don't know. And then they said uh, they were making plans. I said, whoa, where are you going? Oh, we're going on a ghost hunt next week. I said, okay. And you just feel you're like, I'm like, oh, I just saw the ghost of me leaving my body when I realized we can't be friends anymore. (laughs) Like, I was like, I just, I can't. How many hours have I wasted with you? That's, you know. Did anyone, uh, after the documentary came out, I know uh, Mr. Azaria lent his uh, support. Did anyone else reach out from you privately when that was all going on and saying, hey, look, I kind of have your back on this? No, other than wow. Hank, after, like after the fact. I think um, I think Hank, after some time and a lot of reconsidering, he was, he was the first one. And I mean, I, honestly, I didn't need a... It's just weird to me. First of all, like, what if I'm trolling you in a high-profile way, which, mm. as someone who's a professional comedian, I will tell you, 
it's not the easiest thing to do because all of a sudden, like, you know, like, it's like everyone now thinks about me in terms of that documentary versus, but I have all these other things to, things to say. You know what I mean? Of course. So it's not like the easiest thing when you take like a public stand on anything, but like, to me, if you want to deal with that, you ignore it. Like if they ignored it, it kind of would have made it less interesting, you know? Or the other thing you do is you write it in, in a way that's, that's funny or you rewrite the character. I mean, look, people have died in that show and they've had to write around it. Mm -hmm. They've had to like, you know, Carl Carlson has had a really interesting trajectory and how they've kind of started to build out his character. There's a lot of space to play with. So it's really a matter of like, are you willing to? And I suppose with the Simpsons, I didn't think they'd respond. And if they did, I figured it'd be something interesting with the script. Instead, they kind of just shelved the character. And, you know, people keep telling me I killed it. And I'm like, if I had the ability to change television, <laughs> do you really think yeah. I would be complaining about like the choice of roles and everything else? I could pretty much do what I wanted at that point. Well, no, I, I mean, mean, to me, it's, yeah. Like, also, I mean, if I'm like, I just remember something that, uh, of all people, you know, Jerry Seinfeld said at the end of Seinfeld was he sensed that there was a lot of, he noticed a lot of mocking the audience sort of going on in the final season, kind of poking at people that all, you know, it culminated in the Puerto Rican Day parade episode where it was yeah. like, okay. Yeah. And he's, I saw somewhere where he expressed some regret and said, I kind of wish I came back for one last year with all new people. Where he said, instead of uh-huh. instead of pushing back against the ideas, why don't we bring in the new ideas? And that's what I would have expected. A show like The Simpsons that's going to go forever, if they see someone insightful like you, says, hey, this is how we can make this work. I would say, let's work with them. Let's not push back. You know, like, I just, it's, it's but you're right. It is a, it's a thing that sadly seems to happen in comedy where you get to a point and it's almost like there's so many people that would rather be defensive rather than welcome new ideas. Which I people get fragile, man. As yeah. people like, you know, you you get more fragile, and I also think you get more, um, you know. Again, this is not just a TV show anymore. This is like, I don't, I can't even multi-billion dollar yep. industry over the course of like what, thirty years. Like, yeah, you know, like it's not just a cartoon either. It's also something that creates the T-shirts and action figures and you know, tie-ins with other businesses. Like, it's it's a thing that brings in a lot of money for a lot of people, and will so forever. Like, it's been around that long, and so, in a weird way, you're not just questioning art, you're kind of messing with people's money. And sure. if that's kind of the approach, you know, yeah. I'm sure people would be more defensive. Like, every year there is a question of how much longer will The Simpsons keep going, and I'm assuming they've never had any kind of existential scare, really. And this documentary was the first thing that made them look bad, kind of. Well, it's also you know? interesting, so, too, that, I mean, with all due respect, because, you know, Harry Shearer, very talented, but it seems like about every two years he threatens to quit and almost kills the sure. show for everybody. <laughs> and they go, oh, we still love Harry. But then you point out one thing, and they're like, that guy. <laughs> like, that's the... Yeah. Uh, well, let me turn the tables a little bit. Is there anything that you see going on right now? Because I, I see people that I, I they co-opt stuff. You know, they see the, the people get, they go, oh, I want some attention. And then they jump on something and try to say, well, this isn't fair or true. And I go, well, hold on a second. You know, do you see anything right now in comedy where people are getting really offended or offensive? And it's like, is this the hill we want to die on, really? 
I mean, I don't know. The thing that bugs me the most is the people that shout about political correctness and you can't say anything anymore. Mm. And then they go on like they're, you can't say anything anymore tour of 40 cities and thousands <laughs> of venues. And I'm like, yeah, you don't see yeah. how, I mean, it's like brilliant marketing. So yeah. that kind of annoys me and just of like, let's not pretend that like, you are in the minority of opinions, you know, because whenever you say you can't say anything, it makes it sound as if you're this oppressed group. If that's the case, then you're not going to draw the numbers you're drawing when that's a, really a majority opinion. So to me, that that kind of stuff is so aggravating. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's like, like, like Rogan's new anti-woke comedy club in Austin. I was like... Who is who has ever been to a? <laughs> I'm like, I don't know that I've ever been to a comedy club where like someone got detention because of a joke they told. No, you. aside from no, maybe Michael Richards what, and Tracy Morgan, I, I've never seen it happen. Like, what are you talking about? It's a comedy club. I mean, you should be allowed to say. I mean, that's the thing. Like, if if I if I I would hate a space where people were like, you can't say X Y Z. Yeah. Even if it's stuff I agree that you sh- you shouldn't say, you shouldn't. There's a difference between, like, I think you shouldn't say versus you are not allowed to. Like, one's an opinion. One is, like, this is the law. This is the rule. Right. Private establishment, again, you can do, you should be able to do whatever you want. But, like, to me, it's like, it, the issue has never been really with censorship. It's about, are you willing to take the heat? Yes. Because if you remember, there were people who took the heat and lost it like lenny bruce actually died for it you know yep. like technically it was drugs but like there's something that drove him to that and that was the government so like every time there's this this idea of like you know, these free speech warriors they're going after free speech I mean, there hasn't been a single court case in the last 10 years about any of this stuff this is just you don't want to deal with the heat and you know what like there are all these artists that we consider brave who did things that broke rules and stuff they were dealing with heat. They yeah. were dealing with people going after what they were saying, and they stood up to it. So it, it, to me, it's an act of cowardice to like say your free speech is being restricted when who is who is saying that? An other person with an opinion. Yeah, I, I feel like in in America, the two people uh, most improperly cited as like uh, role models, Abraham Lincoln and George Carlin, where it's like, mm. it's like you know, that people, Carlin, Carlin would never say any of the stuff that these people are saying. He'd be there, no. he'd, he'd show up with his own mic and his own amp and talk back to them. <laughs> like it would, he would be the heckler that does the better show. You're touring right now. What can people expect to hear if they go see you? I mean, certainly, like I'm a dad, so there's going to be stuff about being a parent. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think for me, I've desperately not tried to be a dad comic, though I will say a few puns slipped into my set, and I don't think I had a choice in the matter. <laughs> uh, I think that was being a father, they just show up magically yeah. all of a sudden. Um, but, you know, there's there's definitely some of that. But also, you know, I'm going to talk about what I've historically talked about. Um, there's going to be discussions about race. There's going to be like like conversations about what's fair and what isn't and you know a lot of this focus in this next hour i mean i don't think i planned it this way but just seeing how the material is coming together a lot of it's about money you know both in terms of like personally and how money works in this country and like how like capitalism kind of drives your decision making and who owns what you know like there's this is one bit I'm still working on that I'm, I'm, cause you're a comic. I, I know you'll, you'll get this. Like, you know, that bit that 
never kills, but you know it will. Yeah. You just got to figure out. And it's yep. this whole thing about how, like, the prison industrial complex is absurd to such a degree where monopoly, which is the most cutthroat form of capitalism, your point is to bankrupt all the other people in it. Mm-hmm. Even they don't let you buy the jail. <laughs> like, yeah. even they have hard rules about, like, let's calm down. About. So there's, you know, to me, the absurdity of kind of that, like how we, everything has become a commercial enterprise is, is kind of something that I'm trying to string together with this hour. For tour dates, information on vacation, baby, and all things Hari Kondabolu, go to harikondabolu.com. Thank you for listening.